0: just saying I think we all know tomorrow is Mother's Day and there's not specifically a song that I know of in the hymnal that's for Mother's Day but I can't think of another uh, I can think of other reasons like Jesus dying for us on the cross obviously but one of the one of the reasons that I would that I like to say hallelujah to God is for my mother and for my wife who is the mother of my children. And so we thought that number two, All Creatures of Our God and King, would be a good song to sing this morning.
1: All creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice with us and sing. Hallelujah, Hallelujah! O All burning sun with golden beams, beams. and silver moon with softer gleam. your Lord to hear. Oh, praise him. Hallelujah! Oh, far so masterful and bright, providing us with the sun and, and praise, praise the, the spirit through.
0: Sabbath. I invite you to uh, turn in your Bibles to our scripture reading, which comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 7. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 1. And I'm reading from the New King James. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing and when he comes home he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them rejoice with me for i have found my sheep which was lost i say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who have no need who need no repentance Amen.
2: Good morning, everyone. By way of introduction, I'd like to preface my message this morning by saying a couple of things. Um, One, uh, this is going to be a message that's pretty much a Mother's Day message, but I want to say that you know every year at least here in the Wisconsin Conference. Father's Day always falls during camp meetings, and so they're never here at the local church for Father's Day. So, even though I'm going to be (coughs) saying mothers in this, the fathers are very welcome to listen, and it applies to you as well, um, and probably to grandparents and the rest of the family as well. The other thing I would like to say, even though 90 some percent of this is going to be a Mother's Day sermon, the last three, four minutes is going to talk a little bit about Christian education. And the month of May has historically been Christian education emphasis month, too. So I wanted to say just a little bit about that in closing. Amen. You may have seen in the bulletin that the title of the message today is simply one word, assurance. And the interesting thing about insurance, assurance is that assurance is very personal, very individual, what gives us assurance. If Pastor Marco wrote a sermon on assurance and he assigned each of the speakers in this church to do the same thing, so he had a whole bunch of different sermons on assurance, I think you would find that probably most of them would have different texts and different illustrations. Everybody's... uh, Thoughts about what assurance is are a little bit different. So I want to talk this morning about some of the things that bring assurance to me. And I hope they do for you as well. But before I do that, I would like to pause to suggest that on this Mother's Day weekend Sabbath, that all Christian mothers, if they could have one desire, one wish granted to them, that it would be that all their children would be in heaven. It doesn't matter how hard we've tried, how hard we've worked to raise our children to love Jesus and to be the kind of adults that would adore and serve Christ, we still all have nights when we toss and turn and worry about our children. We think about what we might have done differently, what we could have done better. and how we might have done better ourselves as we raised our children. Now, of course, we don't have as many concerns about all of our children as some of the others. Some children tend to give us joy after joy. But it is in the very nature of parents to worry. And worry we do. So in that context, let's talk a little bit about assurance. Not the kind of assurance that we sometimes talk about, because I don't have any guarantees about the future of our children. For God always honors the wishes, the choices that we make, including the choices that our children make. But there are things that we can know for sure, things that we can say with confidence and with full assurance. And those are the things I would like to talk about this morning. And to do that, we're going to start out by visiting three stories in the scriptures that give us insight into these matters. And of course, there really are many other stories that we could cite as well, but for time's sake, I'm going to limit it to three stories. Um, Two of the stories that I picked, the theme of assurance will be very self-evident, and one actually the second one that I'll be using. It's not quite so self-evident in bringing us assurance. But you'll see where I'm going with it when we get to it. So let us turn to the first story that we're going to look at this morning, and that is in the book of Luke, chapter 15, where Matthew read the scripture reading to us earlier. It was on the lost sheep, and he had read verses 1 through 7, and I am going to reread just the last four verses, 4 through 7. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and goes after the one which was lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need repentance. Or who need no repentance, excuse me. <clears throat> You know, in Luke chapter 15, this, this uh, story about the one lost sheep is really just one of three stories in that chapter. And the three stories that are found in this chapter have probably inspired more artwork and more paintings than perhaps any other parables in the Bible. The parables in Luke 15, Jesus tells us about lost things. There are three parables And the one I'm concentrating on this morning is, of course, the first one about the lost sheep. And here we read about a shepherd in search of one lost lamb, leaving the 99 to find the one. The story, a symbol taken from the daily life of the hearers, you know, the people at that time, many of them were shepherds. It was a very familiar scenario to them all. And it wasn't the lamb's intent to get lost. The lamb didn't mean to leave the flock, but it did. And when the shepherd discovered that it was missing, he immediately went out to find it. We'll come back to this in a little while, but for now let's go to the second story I want to look at. The second story I'd like to review is that of the story of Lot found in the book of Genesis. It is not an intuitive story about insurance, but follow me. I think you'll get where I'm going with this. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, and for many years, Lot was the closest thing Abraham had to a son. Lot had left the area of Babylon, traveling with Abraham and Sarah, when God called them to leave. And Lot's own wealth had grown grown to the point that uh, his flocks and Abraham's flocks were just too large to stay together any longer and there was the need for them to separate. And Abraham had given Lot first choice in deciding which direction he would go and Lot chose to move towards Sodom. And why not? The Jordan River ran through that area, and it was rich and fertile, offering an abundance of grazing for the cattle. Lot never suspected what the future would bring. But several chapters later, Scripture tells us the story of the destruction of Sodom. But before that happened, God came with two angels to visit Abraham. God wanted to tell his friend what he was going to do, And it is then that we have the following conversation between God and Abraham. Let me read it to you. It is found in Genesis chapter 18. God has just told Abraham that he is going to investigate if the reports that he has heard about Sodom are true or not. And Abraham immediately um, being intuitively suspecting that Sodom would be destroyed, Began to intercede for the Sodomites. And then this is part of that conversation in Genesis 18, starting with verse 23 and going through 33. And Abraham came near and said, Wilt thou indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou indeed sweep away the and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from thee to do such a thing, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous and the wicked are treated alike. Far be it from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth deal justly? So the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the whole city, I will spare the whole place, on their account. And Abraham answered and said, Now behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord, although I am not but dust and ashes. Suppose the fifty righteous are lacking five. Wilt thou destroy the whole city because of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he said, I will not do it on account of 40. And he said, oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak. Suppose 30 are found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, now, behold, I have ventured to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the 20. And he said, Oh, may the Lord not be angry, and I shall speak only this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he said, I will not destroy it on account of the ten. And as soon as he was finished speaking, Abraham, the Lord departed, and Abraham returned to his place. So God has promised to spare the city of Sodom for the sake of, of ten righteous people. Next, we are told that two angels went to visit Sodom, and I'm not going to recount all the uh, details of the story, but I would like to read how very reluctant Lot's family was to leave the city of Sodom. Lot visited his married daughters, but they would not listen to him. So we find in Genesis, the next chapter, Genesis 19. Verses uh, 15 and 16 says this, And when morning dawned, the angels urged Lot, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the iniquity of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him, and they brought him out and put him outside the city. Can you picture this scene in your mind? Beautiful city of Sodom at sunrise. Palm trees gently swaying in a light, cool morning breeze. Fragrant flowers on every doorstep. And four very reluctant residents disbelieving the doom that awaited. This can't be real. This must be a dream. But finally, unable to wait any longer and unable to motivate the four to any action, the angels physically take Lot and his family by their hands and literally drag them out of the city, shouting, Run! Run for your lives, escape for your lives. A shepherd in search of one lost lamb. Angels sent to save a family so very reluctant to leave. And now a third story. Another parable of Jesus, and we're going to go back to Luke again. And it's just one chapter earlier than before. We're going to Luke chapter 14 this time. Luke tells us that the setting was a Sabbath day, and Jesus was eating lunch in the home of a Pharisee when he told this parable. And it's found in Luke chapter 14. And we're going to start with verse 16 and read through verse 23. And I'm going to read this this time from the remedy paraphrase. Luke 14, starting with verse 16. And Jesus replied, A wealthy man prepared a great celebration and invited many guests. When everything was prepared, he sent messengers to tell the invited guests, The food is prepared. It is time to come. But being concerned with their own interests, they all began making excuses. The first said, I have fields that I must tend. I'll take a rain check, please. Another said, I just bought a new car, and I'm heading out for a test drive. Sorry, I can't make it. Yet another said, I just got married, and my spouse needs my attention, so I won't be able to attend. The messengers returned and told this to their employer. The owner of the estate was angry, knowing that those he loved would miss out what they would miss out on. He turned to the messengers and said, Go quickly out into the streets, the alleys, the underpasses, and bring all the poor, the sick, the crippled, the blind, and the diseased that you can find. Sir, the messenger said, we have done this, and there is still room for more. Then the master told the messengers, Go out into the country, canvas every lane, byway, trail, farm road, and bring in everyone you can find, so that my house will be full. The sad truth is not one of those people who rejected my invitation will taste of the bounty that I have prepared. A shepherd in search of one lost sheep angels sent to save a family all too comfortable in Sodom. A servant commanded to compel more to come in and fill the banquet hall. Three stories, each one about something or someone that was either lost or about to be lost. Those who have gone astray. Now I ask you this morning, what do these stories tell us about assurance? Our assurance does not and cannot lie in our own abilities as parents. Yes, of course, we play a role. But we all make mistakes, many and often Our assurance doesn't lie in how well our kids seem to have turned out um, because they surprise us often when we think things were great and then all of a sudden they're not. Rather, our assurance rests in the unshakable confidence we have in the kind of a God that we serve. We worship a God who will climb any mountain, cross any stream, leave no stone unturned, to find the one lost sheep. We worship a God who will listen to the unspoken cries of parents like Abraham, who hid his anxiety for his nephew Lot in the middle of a conversation about God doing the right thing. Can you even imagine telling God to do the right thing? But Abraham's real question His real concern was for his nephew Lot. God, surely you won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. Surely not Lot with Sodom. You won't destroy the righteous with the wicked, will you? Please, God. Please save my family. If only ten righteous are there, surely there must be ten, aren't there? Please, God. We worship a God who answered the cries of his servant Abraham, and he sent angels to take the hands of Lot and his family and literally drag them out of town, even when their hearts were still back in Sodom. No, God could not save every member of the family. But God did save those who were willing to be dragged out of town. We worship a king who refuses to dine alone. Our God is a social being. And he is not content to have a small group in his banquet hall. He insists that the vast expanse of heaven be filled. And he commissions his angels, he commands his angels to compel, to bring anyone, everyone, all who are willing To bring them to the banquet. Brothers and sisters, compel is a strong word, but love is a strong force. But don't mistake that. He won't cross the line of coercion, he won't force, but he will plead. There are some things that we can say with complete confidence. Number one, God is not against us in this journey that we have on this earth. And neither is he just neutral. If you will, the deck is rigged. He is absolutely, positively on our side. And he plans to do anything and everything he can To save all that he can. Including some of our children. Who presently find. Life outside the church. A little bit more to their liking. Than life inside the church. No God has not forgotten us. Or our children. And he will not rest. Until all has been done that can be done. To save them and us. And now is when I would like to talk three or four minutes about education. What should we say to our young people and parents today about education? Will a Christian education be of value to you in the years ahead? Yes, of course, absolutely. But what do we mean by Christian education? Does that mean going to church schools? Certainly, that's a great option for many people. What about homeschooling? Another great option for others, even public school. And I say this in the context that our education is much more than our formal education in schools. First and foremost, Christian education begins and continues in the home. It also is for our children, for adults as well. It's in Sabbath school. Bring them to be educated in Sabbath school. And even beyond that, we as adults have responsibilities to mentor each of our young people in every way to guide them in the church. But there's one more thing that's even more important when it comes to Christian education, and that is the best education is the one that we invest in ourselves. The best education is taking the time to learn what God is truly like. And that is an education that you must give yourself. You must take the time to get to know God for yourself. You must make the knowledge of God your own. Some people have said that God has no grandchildren. He only has children. We can't just have the religion of our parents. We must know God ourselves. And to the mothers today who have doubts about their children, I would simply say, knowing God brings assurance. We worship a God who is always faithful, a God who is trustworthy, in all that he does, he has a thousand ways of saving our children that we know nothing about. Our confidence, our assurance is in him. If there is anything, anything at all, anything in the whole universe that can be done to save our kids without violating their free choice, he will do it. He is absolutely faithful always and forever. And on that note, I invite you to be so filled with God's Spirit that you will also be faithful. As Paul said at the end of his life, I have ran the race, I have finished the race. Can you say the same thing? Will you be faithful? Will you continue the race? Will you finish strong? Will you finish well?
3: crown. How glorious that moment to see Him face to face To hear Him say, well done, my child, you finished your race But for now the sun's still rising, there's work to still be done While we're waiting for the promise of what is yet to come finish well every day that we are given finish well for the glory of his name finish strong until the savior finally calls us home give it everything we have To be courageous, bold and full of faith. So wherever He may lead us, whatever it may cost, let the church arise and lift the banner of the cross.
2: God of assurance, thank you for the pictures of assurance that you have given us in your word, for the illustrations that help us to understand what you are like. We realize that you don't make decisions for us, but we do understand that you are on our side and that you do everything in your power to save us and our children. Thank you this morning for our mothers. Thank you for our teachers. Bless us all as adult role models that we may teach the next generation about the precious lessons found in your word. Teach us to pray more earnestly and fervently for our children and teach them how to learn to love and serve you. And lastly, Lord, we ask that we'd be filled again with your spirit and that we would faithfully finish the race, finish strong, finish well. Amen. Amen.